1: but it's something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon.
2: This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. Has it been a lack of neighborhood consultation, or simply a case of the NIMBY syndrome in East Vancouver? Or perhaps a bit of both? Is fear and misinformation framing the conversation about supportive housing in the neighborhood? On the program, we'll be looking at these issues and concerns in the politics around a planned 95-unit transitional housing project in Mount Pleasant. This is The City. Stay with me. And thanks for being with me on the program. This is The City, and now are dedicated to critical urban discussions I'm Andy Longhurst. In 2013, B.C. Housing, in partnership with the City of Vancouver, leased the former Biltmore Hotel at 395 Kingsway for temporary supportive housing. The hotel is being renovated to provide 95 units for people who are homeless or at risk of homelessness while they wait for permanent housing to become available. The hotel uh, will be leased for six years and the supportive units are scheduled to open in uh, early 2014, so early this year. The planned social housing has generated support, opposition, and concerns among area residents. In a November twenty seventh, 2013 article by Francis Beulah published in the Globe and Mail, one resident, Jack uh, Bucker, Buckerborough, stated in a Mount Pleasant area listserv um, that, quote, the two problems we see is that, one, it becomes a dumping ground for undesirables from the downtown east side, like the Marguerite Ford complex that has apparently turned into a war zone. He continued by saying that, quote, the other issue there is the cabaret. I can't think of another facility the government has taken over where there's licensed premises just down below. Francis Beulah's article went on to quote Stephen Weeds, another area resident who manages a residential hotel in the downtown east side for the PHS Community Services He said, quote, homelessness and poverty are being treated as a crime. This has been a community where everybody is welcome with a real mix of incomes. When we start pushing people out, we become like the communities we have criticized. And we're going to hear two perspectives on the program uh, this hour. And uh, before that, let's review some of the specifics about uh, this planned uh, supportive housing site. And so, again, just to review uh, from the introduction, uh, there's a planned uh, 90, there are plans for 95 units of transitional housing uh, in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood in East Vancouver um, in the former Biltmore Hotel. So this is at uh, East, uh, East 12th at uh, Kingsway. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, some issues um, around this. And as I mentioned, uh, we're going to have two perspectives on the program. Um, But as I mentioned, let's go over some of the specifics before we hear um, from those guests. According to the City of Vancouver BC Housing and Rain City Housing, which has been selected as the operator for these 95 units of supportive housing, approximately 95 people will move into units starting in early 2014. One meal is served each day. In partnership with Vancouver Coastal Health, there will be on- and off-site support services for health, education, employment, and life skills. Referrals and links to community organizations and agencies for health services um, will also be available. Pets are welcome on the site and in the units. Personal care items and clothing will be available. Individuals currently living on the streets, in shelters, or SROs in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood will be prioritized for the housing. BC Housing and Rain City Housing, again, Rain City being the operator, uh, will work together on tenant selection to ensure people are successfully housed with minimal impact on the community. Tenants will be selected from BC Housing's Supportive Housing Registry. 50% will be from shelters or streets in Mount Pleasant. And 30% um, will be from SROs. 20% will be at risk of homelessness. Excuse me. And... um, a community advisory committee will be formed and will include representatives from the operator, city, community residents and local schools, community policing, the community policing office and business. They will meet monthly to monitor progress and discuss any issues or concerns related to the building. And um, uh, moreover, um, uh and so this again, this is coming uh, from uh, the city of Vancouver website information that they provided um, on on the website um, that is searchable about this project. And uh, we're going to be examining some of these issues um, that are, are making um, some residents um, nervous or raising concerns. So examining a number of these these issues. Um, but as I mentioned, for some residents, serious concerns remain. And we're going to first hear from Stephen Bohas, Bohas of the Residents Association of Mount Pleasant, also known as RAMP. And uh, then after that, we're going to hear from um, an area resident who lives adjacent to the Biltmore Hotel, um, Michelle Storino, who I spoke with about her concerns about the project. So first, those two perspectives. um, And uh, over the course of the hour, this is the city here on CITR 101.9 FM on CITR.ca. As a podcast at thecityfm.org, also off of iTunes um, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM and also at cjsf.ca. Again, this is Stephen Bohus from the Residents Association of Mount Pleasant discussing the proposed um, 95 units of supportive housing planned for the Mount Pleasant neighborhood in East Vancouver. First of all, can you give me uh, a sense of the Resident Association of Mount Pleasant's um, position on the proposed um, units of social housing?
1: Ramp, uh, we have a pretty progressive uh, policy. We support the goals uh, laid out in the community plan as far as housing and homelessness are concerned. The facility is now 95 units. Uh, Our uh, position is that we are generally supportive of uh, social housing. Uh, what we're really concerned about is whether the city of Vancouver will do it right or if uh, if the city of Vancouver uh, will uh, not plan it correctly so I think that that's really the concern of uh, how the city has gone about uh, planning this uh, facility and uh, will it be a, su- a success we want it to be a success, and we want to help make it a success. <laughs>
2: Can you talk more about what you mean about the city doing it right? What um, what would allow or, um, uh, I guess, ensure that the project is done right or on the other side that it's not done right?
1: Well, let's just look at the track record of BC housing in the city of Vancouver to date. And uh, the project was announced on February the 5th of last year. And the uh, course, uh, almost like 11 months later, the city finally has its first public meeting on january the eighth. second public meeting on the 11th until then uh, the only public meeting was the one that ramp sponsored which was on december the 18th of last year Uh, city canceled meetings they were going to have in november and there's been no involvement with the mount pleasant implementation committee which was the case in uh... dunbar the dunbar implementation committee the dunbar residents association they were all involved when they a plan for Dunbar House, and the planning was done well, the construction was ongoing there, well before it opened in Dunbar. So the concerns are that the community hasn't been involved and the city has made all the decisions with the BC Housing and the operator.
2: I guess one, one criticism is that, I guess, to what level of involvement um, could an organization like RAMP or could residents have in a process? I mean, are we talking about selecting the residents for the project like to what I guess to what extent um, can people be more involved other than this is what's gonna be happening and sort of informational sessions
1: okay well the community plan actually talks about how the implementation committee which was uh, uh, the committee that came on board after the community liaison group uh, finished planning the, the Mount Pleasant Community Plan and I was a member of that implementation committee and we even asked about the Biltmore once and we got an email response last year, oh, yeah, some information is going to be coming. And um, I think it, there are ways of making sure that the management, operation management plan is done correctly and that a lot of the concerns of the neighbors are addressed. And this is what happened in Dunbar, with the Dunbar House at 16th and Dunbar. And because of the involvement of the community, that facility is running great, at least from, from what I've heard. mm mm-hmm. uh, Really no complaints, maybe except a few complaints about parking for the staff there in the area, but other than that uh, it, it's integrated very well, and that's a 53 uh, unit facility
2: so so far, the city um, has held two information um, sessions um, on the on the proposal. Can you give me a sense of um, what those what those sessions were like and how well attended they were and the general feel of them?
0: Well, the,
1: the general feel, I, I actually have um, write-ups of um, the sessions and of uh, RAM's meetings on uh, Ram com. so we've done some analysis, and we're going to have our own uh, Q&A up on ramvancouver.com in, in a few days to uh, try to have all of the uh, outstanding questions answered, or at least list the ones that we have answers for and, and questions that we don't have answers for, but the general feeling was that it was a very tightly controlled meeting, so the The city uh, did not uh, share some information. There was a a general presentation of uh, about 21 minutes where D.C. Housing, uh, the Biltmore uh, um, management company, which will be Rain City Housing, and the city of Vancouver, they spoke, then we broke into small discussion groups, and then there was a report out. And there really wasn't a general discussion in terms of Q&A and uh, no commitment for... uh, getting answers to all the questions nor was there any uh, comment forms so i think it was very limiting in terms of the opportunities to uh, comment and at the end of the meeting on wednesday night of last week uh someone stood up and said that they learned nothing and uh there have been no real answers
2: what kind of answers think- were not forthcoming
1: well, like there, there have been conflicting reports on what Willis housed, um homeless in, in Mount Pleasant. And Councilor Zhang, who was there at both meetings, said, "Oh, yeah, it's for Mount Pleasant, some people said no, it's uh, not going to be for Mount Pleasant, but uh, for every all homeless all around the city." Um, the would that the would residents. that matter
2: though? I guess as a question, would that matter where they're coming well, from?
1: Well, it's just what what it says in the community plan. Right? Okay, and and you you look at the population of Mount Pleasant, population of the other neighborhoods, and we've taken on like the the. the Neighborhood has been very inclusive in terms of taking uh, a lot of people who are in need of shelter. On it, it's, um, yeah, but there are a lot of practical questions in terms of uh, good policy and best practices uh, for Mount Pleasant. There were, I think, some of the big uh, issues were from people living in the adjacent uh, buildings. There's also a school a block away. It's a senior center another block away, and the intersection at Kingsway and 12, where the Biltmore is located, that's a very dangerous intersection. Uh, on one side of the street, on the south side, there's no pedestrian uh, crosswalk, so some of them get hit very easily. Actually, pedestrians have already been hit there, and we see the potential of, uh, you know, that's a very dangerous intersection if you move another 95 people into the Biltmore who will be pre- predominantly pedestrians, Using that intersection, so we need public realm improvements as well. So the city hasn't even looked at that issue yet. It Was brought up uh, by Ramp at one of our public meetings.
2: I, I imagine you you have a sense of the the way the meeting uh, about the Ramada on East Hastings went. Um, this is going back into the fall of 2013, mm-hmm. and I, gu- I guess just a, a question to build on this: Do you think the city um, is uh, worried about dragging these things out too long because then it gives um, residents who may be opposed to social housing in their neighborhood more time to organize against it and therefore drags out the process that doesn't need to to be dragged out in a way that makes it quite nasty as we've seen from the ramada on east hastings in the way that, um, that those those information sessions have gone
1: Okay, we actually had a resident from uh, East Hastings there on the Ramada at one of the Ramp meetings who, who attended, and um, I think Andy, I would really recommend that you speak to the local residents about uh, how the city of Vancouver went about planning that facility, because uh, I think the big concerns there were that they weren't concerned, uh, like they didn't uh, consult anyone, and those things were held in the last minute. So I think uh, uh, rather than looking at what happened there, I think the The issue is to look at what led up to that, with the city of Vancouver. So I I would really recommend that you contact people in Vancouver Heights and get the other side of the story rather than what happened at that session. And I think RAMP, because of our meeting on December the 18th and our uh, website updates, uh, the meetings in Mount Pleasant went uh, very smoothly. And uh, part uh, of the reason could be because we have Engage the community as a residents' association, I and mean, we have been supportive of uh, social housing. We're just trying to get the facts and, and trying to put things into perspective for people. So the, you know, I think we're doing our part.
2: Absolutely. In in November, um, an article ran in the province um, uh, featuring some residents who, as you mentioned, were um, were concerned about the proximity of the Biltmore social housing to um, the, the elementary school. And I guess, is that a position shared by RAMP, or is that um, by by residents um, outside of RAMP or or just advocating on their own?
1: Okay, I don't know that article, so if you can send yeah, me the link, I can, for I sure. can review it. But, uh, you know, my, my gut feeling is uh, we do have um, members of RAMP who are um, on the Parent Advisory committees, at least so the, the other school in Mount Pleasant uh, Elementary around Wealth uh, Park, and we've been in touch with people on the Parents Advisory Committee on the uh, Florence Nightingale School. And uh, it's not, you know, either or and cut and dry. It really depends on how well the facilities run and the policies of the facility from what I could see. And what we learned is that there will be a needle exchange on site. There are plans to allow residents, uh, to allow people who have addictions into uh, the Biltmore. And all it takes is one or two individuals who are problematic to and and the problem's the fester to uh, spill it to the school and, and that's where you get the complex. Wouldn't, yeah, your... wouldn't you say though
2: Yeah, wouldn't you say Steven though that these issues already exist in the neighborhood and across the city for that matter? So why would one project necessarily change I mean, granted Mount Pleasant for a long time has been a lower income neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Do you think a lot of the, these reactions are because the neighborhood is gentrifying and people don't want to see that?
0: No, I, I don't
1: think so. I think people want to be in, in the loop, and uh, they want to make it a success. And uh, what they don't like is top-down uh, policy planning, and they can see that uh, some facilities have more problems, like the Marguerite Ford uh, building. If you just, just look at the number of police calls and how that facility ran, which I believe is also operated by Rain City Housing, and you compare it to Dunbar House, which is a great example. And there's also a facility at 41st and Fraser, which was well done. So I, I think um, a lot of this happened ha- um, is due to the way the facilities are run and, and the, um, you know, the care that is uh, taken uh, into uh, making sure that uh, the social housing units uh, integrate well with the community.
2: If there, weren't, if there wasn't a needle exchange or harm reduction services, do you think people would be more supportive of this project?
1: Well, I think um, it's really the mix of residents. So if it were all seniors, if there were not a lot of people who had uh, addictions, if there were you know, a shelter for battered women or you know, people in, the, in those categories, there's probably more support. But I can't, you know, I have, we haven't done the survey, so um, we don't know what the responses are. It's just my my gut feeling. And it it is really about um, selection of of the residents and the operation management plan. Okay, well, what happens if you know you know if, if heaven forbid something uh, comes up on, on a regular basis? What what uh, can be done to alleviate these problems? And and you said yeah, these uh, issues exist re- regardless of whether you have a, a social housing here or not. So so that that's a given. I think it's more the process on how the city went about it and is it best practices to have um, 95 people in a facility like this um, here or would it make sense to have two facilities with 47 people you know in terms of the spread out versus the a lot of people in one place
2: yeah i, I guess Did, one
1: number of our so, so all yeah. of these things were you know were coming up in our meetings right right
2: i, I guess so one, one might say something. if we, if we look at the city as a whole the downtown east side gets criticized um by by some for having too much concentrated low income housing. But then we see these battles play out across the city because no one wants low income housing in their neighborhoods. Um do you see any pitfalls of rather than saying we welcome this um and we're gonna work towards making this the best thing possible, um, because from a from an outsider's view it looks like there's a, a a significant amount of, of concern and resistance to this um, and nimbyism. And I'm just wondering if, um, well, could, if could
1: this... Blaine, the uh, nimbyism uh, uh, idea mm-hmm. uh, or from the outsider's point of view, because I'm, I'm talking about Mount Pleasant, which already has three major um, social housing projects with the Marguerite Ford, and there's a lookout at 2nd and Main, and there's Fraser and... East mm-hmm. Broadway that's being built. So so you're t- looking at already 400 units or so there, and now we have a, another 100 to bring it up to 500. So I don't think it, it you could really accuse Mount Pleasant of being uh, NIMBY with mm-hmm. with our population compared to the 600,000 of, of Vancouver. So I'm just just wondering, can you expand on that?
2: Well, I, I think the way this has played out in the media from looking at some of the mainstream um, outlets... Um, residents have been uh, very concerned and to the point of resistant to this social housing coming to the neighborhood. Um, so that's okay. that's where I think a lot of onlookers might say there's a substantial amount of Nibbyism playing out right now with the concentrated, this plan for 95 units.
1: Um, Mount Pleasant has a population of 26,400 according to the last census. And uh, with the Units uh, with, with the other social housing, we're taking out 500 uh, of the city's goal, and the the idea that uh, there is NIMBYism, and so on, uh, that is uh, a very very simplistic view that has not looked at what the city's done. You know, it's really a lot of this uh, the responsibility here is in the hands of the city because they've left uh, the neighborhoods out of the the planning process. So but it, yeah, it, Stephen, it's, would it matter
2: though if the housing if, they, if there had been two years of meetings and there was still planned to be a needle exchange and 95 units for low-income um, formerly homeless people, would that matter? Would that change it? Because I, I feel like some of the issues being raised are not contingent on that. They're contingent on the actual substance of what's being planned, which is housing for low-income individuals on living homeless.
1: It's not unpleasant
2: or or from across the city would it would it matter if this site if there had been two years i'm just wondering if it seems to me that some of the issues that are being raised are not necessarily about the timing and the information and the engagement but about what's actually being planned so the the substance of the housing and who's so we be don't living. even
1: know exactly what's being planned you see this is the the issues with the lack of transparency okay that the city has made a lot of decisions they don't even know when they're going to serve the meals they decided that they're going to have one meal a day and what we heard from the ramp meetings and the other meetings is that people said no that's wrong you want to have three meals a day you want to have the meals cooked on site rather than shipped in you want to make this a healthy environment for all the tenants and the bc housing and the city of vancouver they want to cut corners and uh, to say that one meal a day uh, cooked off site at dinner is is going to you know, is a good solution? I, I think uh, that's really the the city saying that, and not the residents. You know, the residents want to improve the quality of life for the uh, people who are coming into the facility, mm-hmm. and uh, and the city uh, they're not willing to really budge on that one meal a day. Okay. Uh, and uh, and I, I can bring up a lot of examples. So I think this is where the community input is very important, and uh, a lot of things have been. Overlooked, these, um, practices are these factors are only just coming out in the last minute.
2: Okay, I, I guess moving forward, and just to finish up, um, what would you like to see um, moving forward with this process? Obviously, it sounds like the the meetings that were held were not um, were not adequate. Um, what would you like to see from the city and and overtures from the the housing provider as well, and and BC Housing, I guess.
1: Okay, well, uh, let's look at uh, addressing the issues of the pedestrian safety at 12th and Kingsway, because you know, that's needed regardless, but the, you also have the pedestrian safety issues uh, of the people who will be living in the Biltmore, also at 11th and Kingsway. So we don't want anyone in the neighborhood uh, getting hit as a pedestrian, but by a vehicle there. So that, I think everyone will agree that's something that has to be looked at, upon.
2: And, and I have to ask, was this an issue prior to this, this proposed social housing
1: or absolutely, it? Okay. absolutely. It was just uh, uh there have been requests to have extra trash bins there have been requests to have that pedestrian uh crossing fixed up in the city has categorically ignored it okay right and but now you put another ninety five people uh, in in there it's a very long intersection. We've got a long post on I think we were calm on this, and um yeah, maybe there's a chance to do do something to uh help the public realm and improve the quality of life uh, for the residents on, on who will be using the street and improve the pedestrian safety and the city has been completely uh, negligent in their planning they haven't even addressed this issue
2: okay and, and what are some so, of the other issues as well
1: okay the um, residents were uh, a lot of them were saying uh we want to have the residents so that they have three meals a day we want to have the food uh, cooked on site so you know have re meals to, to have healthy meals for the residents. I don't think uh, one meal a day cooked outside is, 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 really the, is really a good solution. And I'll, i challenge someone like it's very difficult to have one meal a day,
0: mm-hmm.
1: even as a high calorie meal. In, in terms of the, uh, mix and, and the, um, and, uh, who goes in and, uh, the issues with resolving the, um, the concerns with the immediate uh, neighborhood. There, uh, there are a lot of concerns that there will be two bars that are operating, and they will keep operating, and they're right at the uh, base of the building. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, people were wondering, like, what was BC Housing thinking when they rented this building from a numbered company, um, which has a quite an interesting uh, background story as well with the, the numbered company. But the the two bars and there's an off-site liquor store, uh, the residents um, will be allowed to have access to it, which, you know, that's a decision. But uh, you will also be um, looking at uh, letting people who have addictions into the building. So I think we heard a lot of concerns about that mix. Like, is that such a good idea?
2: But are we not thinking that even if it wasn't there, they could walk a block away to another bar? I mean, it seems a bit of a silly... A silly thing to say when this is not prison. People have two feet and they can walk a block if they wanted to get a drink.
1: Oh, right. But uh, (laughs) with the Biltmore Cabaret, um, especially, um, there is so much noise, especially in the summer when you've got this, you know, the concerts uh, downstairs and so on. And that noise is going to filter up into the building as Mm -hmm. well. So some people aren't going to be able to sleep who are residents. There's uh, also a lot of people who. Uh, attend uh, the Billboard Cabaret, and there's this dead-end uh, turnabout at Prince Edward. You they close the exit at 12th off. And then uh, in the summer, there are people spilling out onto the street who are using the, the cabaret. There's all this noise, and then you have the residents who, who want to maybe have some peace and quiet at night, and they're going to be coming and going. So maybe there are some issues with the proximity, you know, if that okay. bar were... A block away, and people could walk. Or well, you wouldn't have noise issues. Or you wouldn't have the proximity of the patrons with the bar and and the residents. So it's not quite that clear cut. And there are a lot of issues with the sound insulation. Um, and the noise does filter up from from the bars and the and the street into the building. Okay. So so it's yeah it's it's more than that. And uh, and, and and that's why having a holistic uh, approach, and maybe BC Housing shouldn't uh, allow uh, those uh, two facilities uh, to be at the base of that building.
2: I guess, Stephen, just listening to that list, one could also comment and say that it looks like you could be nitpicking any issue if it's convenient. That On the one hand, we're assuming that people are going to be searching for alcohol and therefore the proximity is too much, but then on the other hand it's going to be too noisy for them. does that make sense? How it might seem, how whatever argument fits, that's the one that that works to be to, I, I, to make I'm, the case that I'm, I'm, it's not the right place.
1: This is what we heard,
2: so okay. I'm repeating okay. what we
1: heard. We Fair haven't enough. done the analysis. We don't know what the best practices are in in other cities. It's uh, these are the things that have been brought up over and over again. But this is a noise proximity. Okay. And people are on the street. Like how do you manage that? How how do you get the community involved? Is there a, a good way to to address the issues? And and right now uh there there isn't really a management plan. Like the community the the buildmore has done a or rain city has done a terms of reference for an advisory committee that will meet four times a year that they're going to pick 14 members, half of which look like they're going to be from the government already to advise them. Yeah. And, and uh, the terms of reference, they're not looking at the holistic view of the entire community with the Biltmore in it. It's more like this is what the community can do for the Biltmore uh, Mm -hmm. housing. Like it, it, the terms of reference were not written with the wider community. And if you look at the Dunbar House and other terms of reference, they take a more holistic view. There's very little accountability in that terms of reference. Meetings aren't public. Um, There's no requirement for the housing uh, provider to act on the recommendations only four times a year and they're going to handpick whoever is on that committee and they're going to basically impose these terms of reference. And that's really the only way to have any say on how the facility is being run, with the way the the city's uh, planned it. And they so they bypass the community liaison group for the Mount Pleasant plan implementation, and they you know they bypass the usual channel, channels that are used in other neighborhoods. So people want to be involved, and they're not going to have that chance to uh, have their involvement. Maybe there will be one or two uh, people from the strata councils, the uh, media buildings, but I, the, really the questions are, oh, will any of, um, that be there. Maybe there aren't going to be any mm-hmm. problems. and It's all going to be great. It's just more, you know, people, people don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and there's not a lot of trust with the way the city handle, let's say the rise rezoning. And then there's mm-hmm. 275 Kingsway. It's so the, the city already does not have a very good track record for public consultation with planning. I know this is uh, social planning. So, um, and, and we can see how it was done in other neighborhoods on the west side. So it would be good to have some of the processes that have worked well elsewhere in the city used in Mount Pleasant.
2: And that was Stephen Bojas from the Residents Association of Mount Pleasant. And next we have Michelle Storino, who I spoke with. Um, and she is a resident and lives adjacent to the Biltmore Hotel, um, which will have... Um, 95 supportive housing units, um, and tenants will be moving in uh, to uh, those units over the next uh, couple months.
0: Well, I live right next door to uh, the former Holiday Inn. Now that uh, they're all calling the Biltmore, and um, I've been there for living there for about three years now. I've gotten involved in our community because of other things that have been going on. So I got heavily involved in that and became a member of the MPIC, which is the Mount Pleasant Implementation Committee, and noticed that there was renovations going on on the site, but was wondering, like a lot of my neighbours, just assumed they were renovating the hotel. Uh, And then months after the fact, found out that it was, in fact, going to be social housing, and then that's when I really got involved to look into this a lot more to see uh, who dropped the ball where the community consultation was concerned. I'm a huge advocate for the homeless. Um, I've worked at many soup kitchens, you know, tried to contribute where I've been able to with regards to the situation. But at the end of the day, the city has to respect the fact that there's a community there and there are concerns about housing like this Um, I just thought it was an inappropriate site and I have a big problem with something of this size and magnitude when it comes to social housing I don't think it's an effective template for social housing so I have a lot of concerns about it
2: okay and and can you maybe run through some of your concerns about it
0: well first and foremost where was the community consultation between the city or province and the people living in the area Uh, I think uh, anyone who disagrees with this um, hasn't a clue what they're talking about, but it will affect uh, people's property value in the area. It will be a contributor to other issues because we were told very, very late in the game, as in last week during um, a ramp-held initiative that Bill Bresco from the... um, group that is going rain city housing that there will actually be an you know an injection site and that there will be drugs on the premises for those battling drug addiction uh we do now, have now is it I have,
2: I have to stop you because i've heard two different things is it a needle mm-hmm. exchange or is it an injection room
0: well they hemmed and hawed uh you know in one vein it's a um it's an injection site, and the other, it's a needle exchange, but we asked them straightforwardly, was there going to be drugs on site there for people to get, a, like methadone and that type of thing, and they said yes. So at least that's what we were told by the two representatives. They were at the Thursday night meeting uh, that was uh, chaired by RAMP when um, Bill Briscoe from Marine City Housing was asked directly about that issue. Okay. So, And there seems to be a lot of double when it comes to this as well. Uh, the other concern that I have is it's simply too big. To me, this feels like they're warehousing people in there. Uh, I would have preferred to see something that included more social area for them, i.e. a uh, actual kitchen, where they could work together and work on social skills and have the ability to uh, create a community there. I feel that would have been a stronger template to get people back on their feet. Uh, but the main thing that bothers me is the lack of consultation, and that the city has the audacity to insult the uh, homeowners and renters of the Mount Pleasant area to come to us a week, a month before the place is supposed to be open, uh, and say, "Oh, we want to hear what your input is." Uh, when I did attend the city uh, event on the, uh, I believe that was on the eighth. Yes, on the eighth. Uh it was very insulting for them to ask us questions like what do you want to see changed and see what the you know or, or how you want this to function. Uh and I stood up and I asked the city, I said, Why are you asking those questions you already have the answers to? I mean, this is basic uh housing social housing one oh one. You should know that these are all issues. You should know security is going to be an issue. You should know that people questioning the uh, property tax and property value issue is going to be an issue. You should know that needles and noise and um, problems are going to be an issue because we are seeing it down at the Olympic Village. 200 calls in a year, that's a call a night. There's fights out there. There's noise control issues Uh, And the other issue I have is that Mount Pleasant has been taking on a lot of social housing. We have a brand new development on Fraser and West Broadway, which is, I believe, about 72 or or 40, uh, 45 and change rooms that are going in there. Brand new building. uh, Lower down on 2nd in Main, there's a building. And throughout, we've got the um, Recovery Club, which is right next door to my building on the other side. So there's a lot of social housing being put onto the backs of mount pleasant and there's a lot of areas that this could be dispersed um out to and there was also a question about staffing and it did not seem between rain city or the city we were not getting um very solid or straightforward answers to our questions about how this was going to be handled a lot was it We'll have to play it by ear. We'll have to see how things unfold. Where a lot of it sounded like, well, we'll take care of it after the fact. So if a fight starts, we'll take care of it after the fact. If there's an issue with noise, we'll take care of it after the fact. If there's an issue with security, we'll take care of it after the fact. Uh, we were also told by Rain City employees that they would not be able to stop people from doing drugs or drinking in their rooms. So there didn't seem to be... Uh, a sort of stronger control over about what was going to go on in, in that building. And when there's close to 100 people in that, I think the citizens should be concerned, and they should uh, get some more solid answers.
2: Had there been, say, six months, eight months, a year of uh, consultation, would you, um, would you have a different opinion? Or do some of it sounds like some of the The issues that you're concerned with it wouldn't necessarily matter if there was a longer period of consultation is that correct
0: well i think i think the consultation prior to this whole um renovation starting as a taxpayer i think i should have a say in where some of my money goes into and whether or not i'm okay with because it's essentially being funded by taxpayers so we should have a say as to what's going on in our community Um, Most definitely, it would have been a lot more of a proactive uh, consultation with the community. And I, you know, we hear time and time again in the paper about uh, citizens uh, of Vancouver criticizing City Hall and saying, "Well, where's the transparency?" As far as I'm concerned, there's a great deal of transparency in that uh, the city proves, just time and time again, that public consultation—what we have to say—is nothing that they're interested in hearing about. It's we're going to do the window dressing and you know, say that we consulted with the community, but we're still essentially going ahead and doing what we wanted to do. Uh, there were some really good uh, comments and ideas throughout. Uh, I myself said, well, why didn't you, if there is no kitchen or anything, no. no facility, why didn't you reduce the number of rooms? Why did you not put initiative out there for those contractors and people that could help out to come in and you know, maybe give them a tax break or give them some sort of uh, initiative to do so to help out the community. And then we might have gotten a full kitchen in there where they could have been more um, uh, self-independent as opposed to uh, meals once a day being brought in and then they have to go and fend for themselves for the other two meals. I also understand that close to 85% we were told by Rain City are going to be employed as well. So we asked, well, what is being put in place for them uh, for trades and skills and teaching them something or helping them get employment, and we were met with a lot of blank stares. So that's very disconcerting that you're going to be putting in something of this magnitude and you really don't have a solid game plan going in.
2: Are, are harm reduction, in your view, are harm reduction services welcome in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood?
0: Oh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are very realistic knowing that this will take place in a lot of these homes what i think the community uh, i can't speak for them but i'm saying what i heard at uh, both the ramp meeting and at the city held meeting on the 8th and on the 9th is that it seems that both the city i um, we've got councillor jang asking questions and he you know can you answer this and his answer is no um which is not very which is very disconcerting a uh, city official is basically giving that attitude to the citizens of an area that are asking very valid questions. I think because this facility seems to not have um, greater security, uh, more uh, employees, and we're more comfortable, at least I'm more comfortable thinking that there are more people there, i.e. doctors, nurses, and whatnot, to help these people, uh, that it would be a scenario that they would feel more secure. Uh, and more uh, comfortable with having uh, that type of facility within the housing. But it just seems that it's an open-door policy there, so there's a lot of concern about people just walking in, what's going to happen if someone wants to come in and rob the place because they know drugs are there and that type of thing. So, you know, it's where's the balance? There just doesn't seem to have been a lot of thought put behind this. It was just like, oh, here we have this opportunity for this large building, um let's fix it up a little bit and put people in there and then we'll take it from there and try to figure out what we're doing with the rest of the you know shelters and and temporary housing for people
2: so it is it is supportive housing but i just wanted to clarify you sort of characterize it that it's a haphazard um sort of operated as anyone can drop in and but in fact, it's not, though. People will have will have rental agreements. They will be paying rent. It's not operated as a shelter. Um,
0: no, exactly. I, I am very aware of that, but I was also very aware of one minute they were telling uh, people that it was going to be a women's only shelter, and then the story changed, and then, then we asked, well, can we get percentages of who's going to be there, who will be there that's been released from jail, who will be there that is a recovering alcoholic or drug addict you know, what percentage of women will be able to be there. Um, And as you say, you're saying that it is, you know, housing. I fail to see how it's housing in the sense that there is no effective kitchen there. There is no effective laundry there. There is no effective um, security there that they have shown to us in what they've had to say and what they've had to actually physically show us about the building. Uh, So to me, there's a lot of holes in this project i know what the ultimate goal could be and what it should be and it seems that this project is not that that there's a lot of uh, underachieving done with this Uh, and again that's why i make the comment about it sort of half done gone in spent all this money renovated this building and yet it functions like i said as a warehouse to put people in store them feed them once a day and pretty much leave them on their own defend for themselves.
2: I guess if, if this was 95 units of, of permanent social housing, uh, would you support that? Of social housing with enclosed kitchens in the
0: units? Not of this size. You know, I've done a lot of research on my own independently looking into and talking to people that work in uh, nonprofits and deal with the homeless, and time and time again, it has shown that Having this many people housed like that has not been as effective as having smaller units, more uh, closer to a family unit. I believe that there's a form of co-op housing down off of Commercial or Victoria where uh, there is a central room, which is a central kitchen and laundry, and you know people take turns making the breakfast, and then you know other people will be the ones. Um, responsible for the cleaning up of the place and then that switches and changes weekly or whatever monthly may be the case but at least there seems to be more interaction with people I don't think this scenario here where they don't even have a proper lounge area to sit and watch TV and communicate with one another or have the ability to um, have other things there for them to interact with other people in the building All of that is missing and that's my point that I'm trying to make. It just seems like this big building to stick a bunch of people in it till the city gets act together and starts building more permanent housing for people. So I I think my biggest problem with it is that it, it lacked the complication with the community before it was put into play and it's simply too big.
2: And that was uh, Michelle Storino. She's an area resident adjacent the Biltmore Hotel, uh, which is planned to have 95 units of supportive social housing. And unfortunately, the city of Vancouver declined a request um, for an interview on this topic. Um, But perhaps to provide a bit of a different perspective um, and uh, a a counterpoint to some of the issues that were brought up and perspectives, um, we're going to go now to a 2011 Pivot Legal Society um, uh, uh, toolkit that was published called Yes in My Backyard, um, as in uh, the YIMBY toolkit, um, as opposed to the NIMBY um, uh, responses that um, we might uh, see appearing in some instances in this neighborhood. And I just wanted to uh read um a few points and they they touch on some of the issues that were brought up in some of the interviews and I did want to make the point that um as as I mentioned in the article that I read um from the Globe and Mail um there are residents that are strongly supportive of this um and obviously there are numerous and and mixed opinions um, but that it's, uh, that there are often different ways that people see this. So this is the Yes in My Backyard toolkit published in 2011 from Pivot Legal Society. And the the kit is intended, I'm reading from uh, the document, it's intended uh, for YIMBYs, people who understand the value of addressing homelessness, addictions, and mental illness in a proactive and positive way through safe and supportive housing and who want to say yes in my backyard to projects that help people get off the streets and, uh, with it, they they hope that uh, you find the guide useful in helping you respond to fears and prejudices about the people who live in supportive housing. And I just want to uh, read uh, just a short uh, piece about um, what um, supportive housing is um, from Pivot Legal Society's perspective. Supportive housing can mean short-term shelter for the, uh, for the homeless due to inclement weather. It can be transitional while someone is working towards a more stable situation. And it, can be a permit, and it can be permanent for those with physical or mental disabilities that require some ongoing assistance. While a lack of funding is one of the biggest obstacles to safe and affordable housing, another significant barrier, and one we hope to address in this kit, is community opposition to nimbyism when people say, not in my backyard. There is significant research and evidence to show that concerns such as crime, noise, and lowered property values are unfounded. The keys to countering these obstacles is to provide awareness and understanding to communities early in the process and uh, just to go through some of they they provide some some key points that have been brought up in a number of these um, these discussions uh one is that a homeless shelter a homeless shelter will decrease the value of my home. And uh, they write that home ownership is perhaps the most significant investment made by any individual or family. All homeowners want to feel that their investment is secure, and that if and when they decide to sell their home, its value won't be negatively affected by their neighbors' properties. Fortunately, social and sup- so- social and supportive housing does not have a significant impact on property values. And they draw from two case studies, one from the British Columbia Ministry of Housing, Recreation and Consumer Services, that conducted a study in 1995 in seven different regions of the province. In each region, they compared the market fluctuations in an area with supportive housing to another area with none. And the appraisers found that there was no evidence that the presence of the supportive housing negatively affected the sales prices of the homes in the impact area. House prices in the vicinity of the non market project increased as much, and in some cases more, than nearby areas of similar housing types and, age- and ages. And there's no evidence of panic selling or extraordinary length of time on the market between the dates of listing and sale. In another uh, report from New York University's um, Firm and Center for Real Estate and Urban Policy released in 2008, they evaluated the impacts of 123 supportive housing developments across the city's five boroughs over an 18-year period and uh, found that properties within 500 feet of the supportive housing development experienced steady growth in value. Properties between 500 feet and 1,000 feet of supportive housing developments also experienced growth in value. But, as a slightly, but at slightly a slower pace, neither the size of the development nor the density of the neighborhood had any it had an impact on the results. So that's just one um, one evidence based perspective to, to counter some of the the uh, perspectives around um, around the threat of of losing property value with supportive housing nearby. And another one is that supportive housing is a waste of taxpayers' money. And uh, an additional study. Um, from 2006, um, found that, uh, this is from, uh, the Center for Applied Research in Mental Health and Addictions in a report on the economic impact of homelessness in BC. And the report found that the cost of responding to homelessness with ambulances, hospitals, police, courts, and jails failed, uh, far exceeds, excuse me, the cost of providing suitable housing. And they have, um, specific details on that as well. And we're just out at, at time almost for the program, but I just wanted, um, to, uh, to leave you um, with a few more words from um, this toolkit, again, you can find it at pivotlegalsociety.org. Um, and uh, they answer the question, uh, why YIMBY? Living in Vancouver means we share this city with diverse people from all over the world. Sharing this space also means ensuring that everyone, regardless of financial situation or physical mental ability, is also welcome in any neighborhood. It's been almost two decades since the federal government handed off responsibility for housing to the provinces, making Canada the only G8 country without a national housing strategy. The end result is a housing crisis that the UN described as a national emergency. Saying yes in my backyard means saying yes to accepting our community's collective responsibility to make our shared space welcoming to everyone. So in, in, this, in this discussion and, and in the discussions with uh, different people from the neighborhood that have concerns, um, I think we want to look at um, whether maybe is this, a, is this an instance of neighborhood consultation or the lack thereof that didn't address um, certain issues that, that, the, that the neighborhood has, or is it simply a case of the NIMBY syndrome um, in Vancouver's east side? Or might it be perhaps a bit of both? Is fear and misinformation framing the conversation about supportive housing? And how significant are the locational conflicts over low-income housing and harm reduction for Vancouver and the region more generally? And how does this help or harm efforts to build more socially inclusive neighborhoods and socially just cities? So I think these uh, issues are certainly important to, to think about and um, as we as we move forward and address them across the region, not just in Vancouver, um, but as as we mentioned and talked about last week on the program, in places like Abbotsford, um, Abbotsford um, News um, as of uh, January 14th of uh, 2014, Abbotsford has decided um, to uh, do away with their anti-harm reduction bylaw. So. Uh, opinions change. And uh, there are cultural shifts um, about how we deal with these things and how we think about them. And that's important to recognize as well. But I think as we do so, we need to think critically about what does it mean to be an inclusive city? Uh, What does it mean to say yes to harm reduction? What does it mean to welcome things? And certainly raise legitimate concerns. But I think these are all things um, that as we work towards um, more socially just, inclusive cities, we need to consider. I'm Andy Longhurst. This is The City on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM. Thank you so much for tuning in. Back next week for another edition of The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions.